Welcome to episode 174 of the Various Sundry Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who has finally sold his house. Yeah, yeah, it did happen. John Scott Sloat. It did finally happen, Matt. We yeah. Did, we did sell that uh, that piece of real estate. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> yes. Yes. Though, from what I understand, you're still uh, getting some inquiries from the uh, new owners. Yeah. There's yeah. no chance that they're listening to the podcast. I don't think so. <laughs> I'd be really impressed if they were. Um, it is through an intermediary. So okay. uh, through the real estate agent. All right. So. Yeah. Nice to have that off your off your plate. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Well, we are recording on our normal Monday slot, and uh, let's be just straight up honest. The weather today. Garbage. 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 It's cold. It's like 40 degrees and rainy. Mm-hmm. So uh, not the ideal uh, sort of May weather one might hope for. But uh, we are today undertaking something we've never attempted before, John. Yeah. This is this is groundbreaking. Yes. We will be gone out of the country. Well, I'll be out of the country. You'll be I'll be in the in country. the country but still away from the uh vault studio. Mhm. Uh for the episodes that will drop May 9th and May 16th. Yep, I'll be back by May 16th, but you will not be. I will not be. That's correct. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Uh and 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 where will you be? I'll be in Manhattan mostly, okay. Brooklyn a little bit. So New York, New York City. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's where I'll be. And where will you be? I will be in London the first week. Okay. And Brussels in the second week. Nice. Yeah. Belgium. Yeah. Get a waffle. Oh yeah, waffles and chocolate. Are they known for waffles? Oh, yes. I mean, I assume oh, yes. so. Belgian oh, yes. waffles. Yes. So that means that we are going to record. Three episodes today. That's wild. Three. So we'll see how this goes. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's gonna be the third episode's gonna be a little wonky, I think. I think <laughs> we're gonna I think it's gonna get a little weird. Probably. Um I Yeah, we've done two yep. in a day before. Yep. We've... And that's always like, ooh, a little tired. Feel yeah. a little worn from that. And three is gonna be just next level. Yeah, I mean, we are we are committed to making sure that you have weekly podcast content from us of some kind. <laughs> we uh, would not promise the the quality of that third episode. Potentially, we'll see. But we'll uh, see. though, as I've told people about the topic of that, they've expressed pr- probably more interest in the, <laughs> in the first two topics we're doing today. Okay. So anyway. I think I threw that. Did, did I throw that one out? The third yeah. topic is yeah. a joke. Uh, uh, I don't know how much of a joke it was. I I don't think I meant seriously, but it's it's it, it's going to get some traction. <laughs> it's going to get some traction. Okay. All right. Well, if you would like to contact the show, you can find us on Twitter at VNS Pod. You can email the show various and sundry podcast at gmail dot com. You can find us on Facebook and on YouTube, and we would love for you to leave a five-star rating and a review on whatever platform you access the show mm. on. So, ready to talk some sports, John? Sure. So, this weekend, uh, big weekend for NBA playoffs. 
Big sports weekend. Yeah, big sports weekend in general. Uh, the uh, Eastern uh, – so in the NBA playoffs, we are onto the conference semifinals. And uh, in the East, it's Sixers and Celtics. The Celtics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, preparing myself to go to the UK. Obviously. It's Celtic there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Joel, Joel B listed as doubtful for game one. Mm. That could be a series-defining kind of injury for them. Uh, and then uh, game one of Knicks and Heat was yesterday. Yep. yep. Thoughts on that? Um, we didn't look great down the stretch, although Jimmy Butler rolled his ankle right at the end of the game and mm-hmm. is, you know, he, he wasn't very mobile after that point. And so yeah. I think there'll be some question marks around him for game two. Yep. So and maybe we get Julius Randle back. It was a... First half was really good for the Knicks. Second half was not. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Hopefully, we'll we'll see. I I'm excited. I think if the series, which I imagine the Knicks win at least a couple of games in this series, I think I'll be in New York. Find some tickets, John. I I I may just do that. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll call up uh, uh, Jimmy Dolan and yeah, uh, see your close can... friends. Yeah. All you got to do is look into one of the security cameras around the building and say, "Hey, Jimmy," and yeah. Hey, Jimothy, <laughs> help me out here. Yes. Um, and then in the West, Nuggets and Suns. Uh, Nuggets comfortably won game one. And then uh, Warriors and Kings went to seven games. And uh, not surprisingly, even though they were not playing at home, the Warriors ended up winning that series. And Steph had 50? Yes. Um, much to my chagrin, Stephanie managed to uh, put up big numbers. So um, Sacramento just looked like a team that didn't know how to close out mm-hmm. a playoff series. They'd never been there before. That's right. So that that series between the Lakers and the Warriors could be really good. It's the six and the seven, right? In I terms of so. seeding. Yeah. This year's NBA playoffs are pretty crazy when you think about the one seed in the East loses in the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then in the West, you've got six versus seven in the second round. That's weird. Uh, so now you, you mentioned when we were talking about the play-in tournament before, uh, now this year you've had two teams that played in the play-in tournament mm-hmm. win their first round series in advance. Yeah. so That's pretty wild. Uh, the other big sports story was probably the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. Did you watch any of the NFL draft? Uh, I tracked it on my phone. Okay, but I did not. I did not tune in. I find it so boring. Yeah, to actually watch. There was a time in my life where I think I would sit down and watch round by round and all these things. But I, I have other things it's <laughs> what so I want to do, and I can just pull up my phone at any time and see. Yeah. Well, here's where they're at. Here's who's next. Yeah, and you know these quote unquote analysts, they don't know what's going on. They're they're throwing darts at at the at the wall. Yeah. I mean, I saw I saw a story that did an evaluation of like six different six or seven different uh, mock drafts. Mel Kiper, Todd McShay, the big you know people from NFL Network. Mm-hmm. The best performance out of any of them, I forget who it was. Somebody got six of the thirty-one picks correct. Six. Yeah. You know, so it just shows you how ridiculous even the mock draft stuff is in terms of. What these analysts do yep. or don't know. Well, and then they come out with these grades. Yeah. Like each pick gets graded. Yeah, each, you know, ridiculous. and – You can't grade a draft until like three years after. Exactly. Exactly. You got to wait 
three to two, five three years, years at least, yeah. at least before you grade a draft mm-hmm. to know whether it was any good. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to go back and see what did the Jets get for uh, for their grade for drafting Zach Wilson. Oh, I think they got an A for that. Yeah, and here we are two years later, and will he even be with the team next year? Yeah, because he's so cheap. Yeah, um, okay. because he's still on his rookie deal. Yeah. Anyway, it's just it's ridiculous. But you know, it's to generate clicks and views and that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. But it's an event for sure. It is. Um, so my interest, of course, is in Ohio State players. So you had three in the first round. You had C.J. Stroud, number two to Houston, despite all the draft buzz that his stock was falling. Whose stock actually fell was Will Levis from Kentucky, yeah. the quarterback there. Went in the second round. Yes. Um, Paris Johnson went to the Cardinals in uh, with pick six, offensive tackle. And then the Seattle Seahawks got a steal in Jackson Smith and Jigba at 20. They are going to uh, love having him there. And him being on the same field as um, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett means that teams can't focus on him. And so I think if you're looking to find a fantasy wide receiver or a potential offensive rookie of the year in the NFL, that's a good bet there. But uh, I haven't talked with you at all about how the Jets did. In their draft. I don't even know who they picked. Uh, so I think the most notable person they picked in for this for our purposes here is a guy by the name of Joe Tipman. Have you heard of this guy? No. He played center. He's a six foot six center for Wisconsin. What's more interesting is he is born and raised in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Oh yeah? Yes. Where did he go to high school, does it say? Uh, he went to uh, some small Catholic high school. So uh, 300 kids a class, sort of Catholic high school. Okay. I don't know how small that is, but yeah. I think compared to public schools, that's pretty small. 300 in a class? Yeah. I thought, I mean. 1,200 students for a school? You call you call that a smaller school? A sm- uh, I mean, we have that at a college and that's a smaller college. I, I, I think that's still pretty big. Okay. Well, he went to a Catholic high school <laughs> okay. in Fort Wayne. Um which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. And so he was our second round pick. Um, oh, my goodness. Let's see. I mean, yeah, we got some offensive tackles. We got some edge rushers. We got a running back from Pittsburgh. You know, I, I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of one of those drafts where it's like, oh, those could be great or they could be flops. You know, it it's, yeah. feels like it could go either way. I we, mean, they got Aaron Rodgers. That's, yeah, that, that's, that was – That's that what was, they wanted for the offseason. That was most of our draft was getting Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. So – um, what about your Mets? How are the Mets doing? It's been a rough start. Mm. Actually, before we get there, uh, I, I will make a note. The Cleveland Browns, they drafted two Ohio State players and then signed another one on a undrafted free agent contract. So it kind of had the vibe of are you trying to recreate last mm. year's Ohio State football team? They drafted Dewan Jones, a tackle, who 6'8", 378. Wow. He's a massive He's a being. mountain. He's from Indianapolis. Oh, fun. And um, Comfort food. Yeah. Yeah. So he's just a massive human being. Hmm. I watched him play basketball in high school. <laughs> Surprisingly athletic for a guy 6'8". Yeah. So, uh, okay. Back to the Mets. They're struggling. They're struggling. Yep. There was uh, 
Well, Max Scherzer has gotten suspended. Right. We talked about that last week, did we not? Yeah, okay. but he's missing. That means two ten games. That means two starts. Two starts. He's back this week, um, and then Justin Verlander comes back this week. He has not pitched a game yet, uh, and they 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 just haven't been playing well. So they need another bat in the lineup. I think. Okay. You think they'll get one? They're gonna go try to trade for one. They're gonna go try to. They're gonna bring somebody up from. Liners. I think they'll they'll promote. They'll promote from within. Okay. I think. I think. Any chance you're gonna catch a Mets game while you're in New York? No, they're not in the city actually. So they're on uh, the road. That whole the whole time I'm there, they're on the road. That's a bummer. Yeah, yeah. I I thought about it a lot. I'm sure you looked. Uh, <laughs> what's funny is they're in Cincinnati, uh, which with Steve. In Ohio, yeah. we have some connections. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to miss that. Oh, that's too bad. Is that their only trip to Cincinnati? Yeah, they just do one a year. Mm, that's too bad. That's too bad. Shout out to Steve in, uh, in uh, Ohio. Yeah. Um, yes. So uh, how much would you pay? You may not be willing to share this on the air. Okay. How much would you be willing to pay to catch a Knicks playoff game? Like if when you're in New York and you look for tickets – What's your threshold for like, if I could get one for this, I'd go? Um, just in general, just to get in the building? Yeah. So I, I've been to playoff hockey before mm-hmm. and I think I paid $200 for those ticket, for that ticket. Yeah. Probably around there. I'd pay $200. OK. Yeah. Which means there's basically no chance then you're getting in there. No, I'm not going. No, yeah. no. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the floor is to get in? Like, like just to get in the door somewhere. Now, floor, you mean the, the... – no, 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 no. I'm talking about the minimum to get in, okay, not sitting okay. on the floor. Okay. <laughs> Those are, you know... For game two? Yeah. We could just, look this up before the end of the, the show. Just the minimum to get in the door somewhere. Nosebleed seats at Madison Square Garden. 750, maybe more. Yeah. Is that, what you, is that the ballpark you were in? I, I would think so. I mean – New York is a wealthy city in that sense, mm-hmm. and so even just getting in the in the building, standing room only. I would. I, I might have said five hundred. Yeah. I think I might have guessed there. I bet you. I, let me pull up SeatGeek real quick. But yeah, I think um, you'd be hard pressed to to get in for. Okay, and here's the thing in my mind. Like I've thought about this with Ohio State games. Just to get in the door to a big game, you're paying such big money. I think I just I, – I, I would just rather stay at home and watch the game on a nice television in the comfort of my own house. Oh, yeah. And I always think of – yeah, sure. It will be great to say I was at the game when they you know, won when, this big when game. When XYZ yeah. happened. Absolutely. But if they lose, I will find myself thinking I can't believe I, I spent that kind of money on – Going to a game that they then lost, I, that would just be hard for me to stomach. Okay, I'm seeing nosebleeds, three seventy four. Okay, a ticket that's still out of your price range. But. That's oh yeah, um, four fifty four, three fifty two, three. I mean these are these are the any any desire for floor seats. What they <laughs> this is. This is a uh, uh, behind floor seat. They don't even have different list floor seats. Yeah, they, yeah. Four thousand three hundred dollars for a floor seat behind the floor. So second row, basically. Yeah. Oh, here's floor seats. Oh goodness. Uh, yeah. VIP twelve is the name uh, of the section in Madison Square Garden. Okay. Do you want to know any guesses? Ten grand. Uh, uh, Eleven five. 
<laughs> Gosh. That's crazy. That's wild. Yeah. I'm glad we looked that up. That's that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. 600 behind the basket? That doesn't feel so bad. It depends on how much your view is obstructed by the basket. The basket. Now, now if I could say for 450 you could be in the nosebleeds, but for 600, for 150 more, you can be behind the basket, lower lower bowl. Yeah. Again, it depends on the obstruction how much the basket really obstructs your view. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. All right, we should probably move on, John. You ready? Sure. Our topic for today is I've loosely called this uh, the future of church growth in America, which seems like a big statement. <laughs> in li- but that's kind of how the author that led us to this topic presented his tweet thread. Yeah. So uh, you sent this to me, uh, tweet thread from a guy named John Stark. Who is John Stark? So not the basketball player. Yes. For starters, he's got a he's got an E on the end of <laughs> yes. his name. Yes. For those who don't know, John Stark, without the E, was a basketball player for the New York Knickerbockers in the nineties. Or or my my wife's extended family. Her her maiden name is Stark. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So John Stark is a pastor in New York City. When so I've met John um, at least a couple times for coffee, mm-hmm. and he at the time he was the pastor of All Souls Church in Manhattan, which had a it sounds Anglican. Well, it has a fascinating story. Give me two minutes. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, so it was planted by a, a Pentecostal preacher who uh, came, I believe, from Africa to New York City to plant a church. Okay. And sort of the the holiness movement, health and wealth mm-hmm. sort of field. Uh, started reading the Gospel Coalition, got saved, <laughs> and turned around and started preaching Calvin. Like one week was like uh, 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 health and wealth, Pentecostalism. Mm. The next week was Calvinism. Okay. Uh, the whiplash that <laughs> yeah, poor church uh, endured. And so that guy eventually went like, I, I've got to go to seminary. Yeah. And so – he left the Gospel Coalition, put it out on their website. John Stark took over that church. And I don't know what fully happened, but at some point he left that church and took over another church known as All Souls. Okay. Or, oh, that was the original church, uh, Apostles in New York City. Yep. And that's where he's the pastor now, Apostles, New York City, uh, part of the Harbor Network, okay. uh, which is the old Sojourn Network out of yeah. Louisville, Kentucky. Um, interesting that a place called Harbor Network comes from a landlocked state. Yes. Uh, I always think that's funny. But uh, but yes, he's a very active guy on Twitter. He's published a couple of books, at least at least two, as far as I can tell, as far as my memory serves. So Yes. Uh, he I mean my impression of him, I don't know him I don't know him personally and I've only you know seen some of his stuff, but uh, He's a he's definitely someone who does a lot of thinking and even writing about um, reaching or communicating the gospel in a context in a more urban context like New York mm-hmm. City. Yep. Um, and so that I think is some helpful context for the tweet thread that we are about to read. Uh, it's short, so I figure why not just read the whole thing? Sure. And that'll help our audience have a context for what we'll talk sure. about. Sure. All right. uh, So here it is. A quick thread on the future of church growth in America. 
10 to 15 years ago, if your neighbor knew you were a Christian, they may not agree or even like your beliefs, but at least they assumed you to be a, quote, moral, more moral uh, than them because of your beliefs. Now there's been a shift, uh, at least in many of our contexts. If your neighbor knows you're a Christian, it may be they actually assume you are less moral or bigoted because of your beliefs, uh, specifically on issues related to sexuality and gender. That can be disorienting and may explain why mid-older millennials are not coming back to church. It used to be that as you got older, and had kids, you felt convicted and began going to church to ensure your kids were around a, what I believe to be moral mm-hmm. environment. Forgot the L there. Yep. Uh, but now, uh, many do not assume churches to be moral environments. And so that season of returning to church isn't happening in many contexts. If someone leaves the church, it's often they simply leave the church. I just wonder if churches need to prepare for this reality and how that impacts growth slash finances. There might need to be uh, an intentional season of spiritual formation uh, of our people to sustain their faith in a world where their beliefs are assumed to be immoral. He clearly wrote this on his phone. (laughs) I'm like correcting his grammar as I'm going through it. Uh, I think it will be harder For us, then, uh, we think to live and work in a world as Christians and to be viewed in that way. How do we stay resilient and stay with Christ to the end uh, in that kind of environment? Uh, And then the final tweet, how do we stay uh, with Christ where we might not be persecuted, but maybe regularly embarrassed or feel humiliated? Okay. So there's plenty of different directions we can go with that. Um, let's start with the kind of the initial kind of lead point is um, does being a Christian make your neighbors think you are more moral or less moral? Well, uh, and this was sort of your first response, I think, when you read this. It was like this – and he makes makes this – he allows us as well. Depends on your context. It depends yeah. where you're at. It depends who your neighbors are, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I would say your circles as well. Yeah, yeah. I would say I think that statement. I, I think it is true in contexts like the Northeast and the Northwest, mm-hmm. um, and. Even more broadly speaking, I would say more true in urban rather than rural areas. Yeah, yeah. I think for the most part still, the vast majority of of rural areas – and when I say rural, I'm talking about non-metropolitan areas. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that being a Christian is still regarded as something that people would look at you and go – well, that probably makes, means that they're a really good person mm-hmm. at some level. Uh, but in his context in New York City, I have no problem imagining that his perception is true, that being a, being a known Christian could uh, mean that your neighbors think you are less moral than they are. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, your thoughts on that? I mean – Yeah. Uh, I would say uh, – I would. the only piece I would add to that are people – and maybe this has to do with my own context. People that work or study at big secular institutions mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, so I would – you know adding to northeast, northwest, uh, urban centers, and then, and then I would say uh, people who work at – Public universities. Public universities or even private, um, very liberal uh, universities. Yeah. yeah. That's probably true. Um, so uh, yeah, like I think of some of my circles that intersect with some of those areas. Yeah, I, I – have to do a little bit more lifting uh, to mm-hmm. convince them like, no, 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 my faith doesn't make me a, a flaming racist or yeah. uh, a, a angry, bigoted person, you know? Yeah, um, I think so. So yeah, I think, I think there are aspects of this that ring really, really true. I agree. I, I think um, it's – it is so contextually based um, and my guess is that many of our Listeners are still probably more in the in context where that's not the case, where being a Christian is still generally perceived as a plus, yeah, by a neighbor. Um, but it it reminds me of I, I can't remember what preacher I heard speak this way, but he talked about when being a Christian was more of a positive mm-hmm. uh, for just your day to day life, yeah. Uh, so he told the story of a gentleman who was from another country who came to the United States and was trying to get a mortgage at a bank. Uh, and the, the mortgage lender asked him, so where do you go to church? And the, and the guy looked at him goes, why does that matter? Yeah. <laughs> and the mortgage lender goes, why would I lend to somebody who doesn't go to church? Yeah. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just went through mortgage lending. No one asked me that question. <laughs> what? Even, even in uh, Indiana. Yeah. Wow. What a so, world. Yeah, yeah. I'm at, did, when you applied for your mortgage, did they ask you where you went to church? No, I was not asked. <laughs> no. So uh, one of the connections, connections he makes from this is his uh, hypothesis that this may explain why mid to older millennials, which I'm trying to figure out what that age range is. I mean, when's the break? When are the breaks on? What are the oldest millennials? Are you you're on the you're on the older side of? Yeah, I want to say the oldest millennials are like very early forties. Okay, so mid to older. So really, your sweet spot then, mid to older would yeah, be probably thirty mid thirties. Yeah, thirty five to forty. Okay. Um. So he's he's hypothesizing that this. Uh. Negative perception now may explain um, why fewer older to uh, to mid millennials are not going back to church, which is a trend that's been seen throughout generations, really, of even people who kind of walk away from the church to some degree as their kids get certain age, mm-hmm. they end up kind of wandering back to the church in order to um, oftentimes to kind of get their kids some morals kind of thing. Um, but if the church is not perceived as a center for moral thinking or moral views, then that's not going to happen. What did you th- What did you think of that particular perspective? Um, well, I, I do have a family member who explicitly stated that. 
that that he, that this person does not want to go back to church. Well, that when when they were in college, uh, they would have said like, "Listen, I'm done with church for now. I will go back later when I have kids." That was that was stated, and now would be a person that would stand up and say, "The church is an immoral place. I mm-hmm. want my child to have morals. Therefore, we're not going to go to church." Okay, that would that would actively say that. So, yeah. um, there's part of me that sees it as true. I mean, I. I happen to run a lot of circles where a lot of mid to old millennials are in church, mm-hmm. um, but I do th- I do think there is I think I do think there is aspects again context driven yeah. where I think that statement is true. Right. I think one piece that he doesn't address, and again, this is not a criticism. I just think it's another factor. Mm-hmm. I don't even think he would necessarily disagree with me is um, he's focusing on one particular issue, on sexuality and gender, mm-hmm. which is huge. Oh, yeah. And one might even argue the most significant in this conversation. But I do think another piece of it is politics. Oh, absolutely. The perception that um, there is too much um, alignment between certain churches and certain parts of the church and uh, conservative politics. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think that's another factor that probably is – and in thinking of the family member in particular that you're referring to. Oh, it absolutely has a large large piece of it for sure. And so I – yeah. And again, I don't think John Stark would disagree with that statement. No, I think he's just – for the sake of the thread just talking about sexuality and gender. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do think that's another piece of it that regardless of whether you think that that is true, it the perception can be among some in mm-hmm. that range that that's the reality. And so um, maybe you're getting less. But, but then what's interesting to me about that is do those people still end up going back to church and just – or are they just like, oh, well, I just assume all churches are like that. So what I mean is if that's really your angle and even on the gender sexuality thing, you can find quote unquote churches yeah. that affirm those perspectives on gender and sexuality. Why aren't those growing? I don't think they are. Yeah. And so I, I I'm not saying that that I'm not saying that, that disproves his his uh thesis or hypothesis, whatever we're gonna call it. But it is striking to me that if that's if that's the issue, then why not go try to find a church that agrees with your sensibilities on sexuality and gender? Shouldn't we then be seeing a growth among churches that are more um, quote unquote progressive mm-hmm. on sexuality and gender, or even politically for that matter? And I'm not aware of anything that says that's happening. No, I mean I, I would know some people anecdotally uh, mm-hmm. who have made the jump to a more progressive style church uh, or not even style, progressive politics, progressive theology, mm-hmm. progressive sexual agenda church. Yeah. I can think of two to three probably. Um, but But I'm not aware of any data that would – Display that, and it would be interesting to see if there was any data mm-hmm. in terms of that. Like, because at the end of the day, I 
I don't want to say it's a smoke screen, but the human heart can be remarkably crafty in finding excuses to not put yourself back in a context where you yourself mm-hmm. might be challenged. You yourself might be uh, expected to um, change the way you live a little bit, change the way you think a little bit. Oh, yeah. So you can hide behind the, oh, well, I can't be a part of a church where all those you know bigots and racists are. OK, well, you could find a church – and I'm not at, I'm not advocating for this. I'm Matt just saying, Harmon advocates progressive go. church attendance. There yes. you go. But <laughs> you know, it, it, if you were like, I really want to I really want to know God. OK, well, then why aren't you heading out to some progressive church? Why aren't those yep. churches growing and just filling up because of that? If anything, historically speaking, every statistic I've seen – seems to indicate that churches that go that direction theologically and socially decline in mm-hmm. number. Yeah. You know, I mean the, the I mean the the mainline denominations are the clearest example of that. Most, uh, most episcopal churches we know yeah. are really really struggling. Yeah, I mean any of the mainlines really um that have gone that direction mm-hmm. have declined yeah. in terms of numbers. So um, anything else in that tweet thread that you wanted to hit on? Um, oh, I do want to hit on this. How do we prepare? How do we prepare Christians to live in a context like that? So even if you know we don't live in that context, no. But we should probably be thinking about how do we prepare people, especially even in our role how here at an institution. How do we prepare our students who? many of whom will go off into those contexts and be thought to be less moral mm-hmm. because of their views on sexuality and gender in particular. So what's, what are some things we need to be doing to prepare students but even people in the church for living in that kind of culture? Yeah, and this is, this is something I, I, I don't have great answers to but I think about pretty regularly. Uh, I think some of my – so I don't know if listeners know this or not, but I do quite a bit of thinking and reading on vocation here on campus. I usually get to teach about it once or twice a year. Um, and I, I think that's one way that we can help uh, people be ready for this. Like uh, you fulfilling your role, um, you fulfilling your calling, you fulfilling your station is a way in which you love your neighbor mm-hmm. um, and going about that with excellence uh, for the love of the neighbor, even if even if that neighbor thinks you're a, a bigoted, immoral person, mm-hmm. uh, going about it that way, and then and then like I think preparing people to just have a faithful presence uh, wherever they're living um, is going to be prob- probably my my loose answer to that right now. Um, okay, I also think just talking about it a little bit more um, and not in doomsday uh, sort mm-hmm. of scenarios like. The world is ending here. You know, yeah. uh, go stand on a street corner with a sign. You know, okay. but 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 more like, hey, just be prepared for this reality as you step out. If you, if you want to have a faithful witness for Christ, mm-hmm. a faithful presence, uh, you're going to be there, there, there's going to be some drawbacks. Yeah, yeah. I I would say there is. I think there's a lot of different things. One area that I would suggest that we as the church. And even here as an institution, as we talk to students, is we have to do more 
talking about our identity as believers as exiles in this fallen world. Mm-hmm. And I think when you when you embrace that kind of mentality, then it helps you be ready for not putting too much hope and looking for security and comfort in the things of this world. That include the reputation uh, that even non-believers might give you for being a great guy. You know, so I mean, the reality is that days are coming where there's going to be plenty of Christians who live in that kind of context where they could be the kindest, most honest, hardest working, generous person in their workplace or in their neighborhood, and there will still be people around them that will hate them mm-hmm. because they know that person does not ha- or has traditional views on sexuality and gender. And they won't want anything to do with them. It'll mean that much to them. Yeah. And um, that can be disorienting, as this as this thread indicates. But I think if you have the mindset of, I'm an exile here. Yeah. I'm to work for the good of the of the location that God has put me in. Mm-hmm. But this is not my home. Yeah. And so if I'm if I am rejected, if I am not accepted. And even if I do my best to have the faithful presence and to be kind and generous to others, I still could be marginalized, mocked, mm-hmm. held up to be shamed for my quote-unquote backwards views. All those are realities that could come our way. But if you think you're an exile, if you're like, well, this isn't my home, this is not my final destination here. Mm-hmm. Um, I have something far greater and this is a place where um, I would suggest readers could reflect on uh, Hebrews 11. Mm-hmm. There's a great section in there uh, that talk about these great heroes of the faith and how they saw from afar what was promised but never received the fullness of it. Mm-hmm. And basically it says it's because they were looking for a city whose architect and builder is God. OK. Well, so they're not looking for – ultimate fulfillment and success here in this world. Yeah. And so I think if you embrace that kind of exile mentality, it can free you from the paralysis that comes from, oh, no, I'm doing everything I can. I'm kind of doing everything right from a Christian perspective, and they still hate me. Mm-hmm. They still think I'm immoral. So that that would be where I would point people to. Yeah, yeah. You know a good book on exile? Uh, I might, yeah. Do you? Yellow cover. <laughs> <laughs> Black accents, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I wrote a little book that touches on some of this. Rebels and Exiles? Rebels and Exiles, uh, Biblical Theology of Sin and Restoration. Okay. So might find that helpful. And uh, I, I think I think some of that I, some of that identity thing, I think it's going to push us into some of those exilic texts. You know, yep. I think it's going to push us into the uh, book of Daniel, th- things like that. To, First Peter in particular has a lot to say about oh, yeah. that. So, oh, yeah. Uh, those would be texts that I think – we as Christians need to get a little bit more familiar with and really uh, reflect deeply on and apply aggressively. Do you think we've gotten too comfortable in, in our in our present state? Maybe, maybe, you know, sort of here in Middle America. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think we've just become accustomed to to being a Christian means that you have not just a seat at the table in public discourse, but you have the majority but, at the table. But yeah, yeah. Kind of a semi-privileged position in many contexts. 
And that's, again, depending on your context, some some places that's still true. Mm-hmm. But there are plenty of places that that's not. And, you know, going from being a quote unquote majority to a minority in any context can be disorienting. Mm-hmm. So those would be some things to think about. But hmm. anyway, we should probably move on. Don't you think, John? Yeah, we probably should. We got two more of these to do. Yeah, um, no, no kidding. Um, yeah. Let's go to this day in sports history. All right. This day in sports history, May 2nd, 2023. Uh 1923, so 100 years ago. Yeah. Uh, Major League Baseball, Washington Senator Walter Johnson pitches his 100 shutout and beats the Yankees 3-0. Anytime the Yankees get beat, it's a good day. How many years do you think you'd have to go back now? Like 100 shutouts for one pitcher. Okay. How many years – would you have to go back to get a hundred shutout games? Do you think there've been a hundred shutout games in the last two years? In all of major league, baseball? all of major league baseball. No, I don't think so. Three years, maybe five to seven. For you 100. think that far? I don't know if it's that far. There's for, a lot of games for one pitcher, nine innings, zero runs. Oh, to do that? I oh think, my goodness! Is that what this is? This this yeah. guy is saying? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If that's the number, then complete game shutouts. I bet you'd have to go back ten years. Uh, cumulative. Cumulative. All, all major, pitchers. Yes. All pitchers. I, in the I, last ten years, do you think there've yes. been a hundred complete game shutouts over ten years? That's maybe. That's ten per year. I'd say we get to close to ten a year. Yeah. Complete game shutouts. Even recently. I think it's going to be heavier towards the further we go back. I agree. Anyway, that just fascinated me. Uh, 1939, New York Yankee Lou Gehrig ends his uh, 2,130 consecutive game streak. Yankees beat the Tigers 22-2. to So obviously they were better without him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I threw that in there because, I mean, we contemplated ending our streak of weekly content. Mm. But this really happened on May 2nd, right? Yeah. Okay, just double checking. Yeah. Um, 1978 NFL draft Earl Campbell from the University of Texas uh, picked first by the Houston Oilers. Yep. Have you uh, ever seen any clips of him? He was a beast. I feel like I have. If you YouTube Earl Campbell highlights, he is just a monster. There was a time and place where I would sit down and watch NFL films just all the time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I feel like he came up. Oh, yeah. Was Steve Sable's voice over? Oh, yeah. yeah. The rough gridiron. Anyway. Um Nineteen eighty-eight Reds manager Pete Rose is suspended for thirty days for pushing an umpire. Not kosher, Pete. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, Nineteen ninety-nine John Elway announces retirement from the NFL. Yeah, there's a guy who completely changed his legacy in his last two years. Yep, won two Super Bowls. You know, he went from being sort of like the Charles Barkley, great player, just never won one to. Winning back-to-back Super Bowls, now he's in the conversation as one of the, what? 98-99, is that right? Or 97-98? Well, if he retired in 99, I think it would have been 98-99 then, right? Yeah, I think you're right. Because he retired after the second Super Bowl win. Well, Brett Favre won it with the Packers the year before. But, yeah, I mean, he's one of the top 10, certainly, NFL quarterbacks Mm -hmm. in history. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, It almost went to play baseball for the Yankees. That's right. 
2022, just one, one year ago. Year ago, uh, World Snooker Championship. I we did not cover this at the time. <laughs> uh, at the Crucible Theater in Sheffield. I'm a little nervous about what comes next. Englishman Ronnie O'Sullivan. Englishman with a name like O'Sullivan. Yeah. Okay. Wins his record equaling seventh world title with an 1813 win over countryman Judd Trump. I was expecting a much more difficult name I know. In there. I could see you like tensing up. Uh-huh. All right, John, who do you like? Um, oh my goodness. Uh probably 100 shutouts for Walter Johnson. I like it. Okay. Let's do that. One thing you liked. All right, so one thing I liked, uh, went out to dinner with my parents this last weekend and went to a place called 800 Degree Pizza. Hmm. Wood, Wood fire. oven fired, yeah. Delicious. Amazing pizza. And it's probably done in like, what, two minutes? It was done very quickly. Yeah. It came out in a hurry. I had sausage and rosemary. I mean, it was delicious. It was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds that sounds good. Eight hundred degree pizza, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Okay, I'm also going to go with a restaurant themed one thing I liked. I can't um, believe we have to do three of these. Today. I know. Um, so Bubs in Indianapolis. We were down in Indy Bubs. to see our son John, and we went to his favorite burger place called Bubs. It's in the there's a couple locations. We went to the one in uh, like the Carmel Midtown area, and they have, in my estimation. The best waffle fries in the history of the waffle fry. So do you use waffle fries its own category then? Yeah. Okay. Um, they they make Chick-fil-A waffle fries look like garbage. They're that wow. good. Wow. Yes. They have the perfect level of crispiness on the outside but yeah. still tenderness on the inside. Delightful. Uh, hot take. I do not care for Chick-fil-A's fries. I don't think they're very good. Well, Chick-fil-A is overrated. Chick-fil-A is overrated. I mean, that might be the There's hottest our hot take. take. That yeah. might be the hottest take this podcast has. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's a good note to end it on. Um, Let's alienate the audience there you before go. moving on to there episode you go. two of three. We've yeah. talked NBA playoffs, NFL draft. We have talked uh, future of church growth. We have talked Walter Johnson pitching his 100th shutout. We've talked about a couple of restaurant stops that we appreciated. And so by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. And so all that's left to say is, until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.